This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Nat Amor, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you so much for having me. Nat is a Sydney-based writer who is passionate about encouraging kids to read and write and explore their imagination without boundaries. Her first middle grade novel, Secrets of a Schoolyard Millionaire, came out last year with Penguin Random House. It had great success as both Dimmicks and QBD Kids Book of the Month, becoming Australia's number one best-selling debut Aussie children's fiction in 2019. Her second book, The Power of Positive Pranking, is out now. Wow, how exciting. So Dimmicks and QBD, and it became Australia's number one best-selling debut children's book. Yeah. And I sort of found that out by accident because Penguin sent me some, it was like a publicity kind of pack or whatever that they were sending out about pranking. And it had that in the, in the description. I like rang up my publisher and I was like, is that for real? And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, that that's, no, that's a thing. And I was like, oh my God. (laughs) I found out from my own info pack. (laughs) Yeah. Fantastic. It's great when you read something about yourself that you know. Now I've got here, Nat's also been a Peace artist. Is that right? <laughs> That's absolutely correct. Yes. I... TV show contestant, star as <laughs> yep. a blue monster in an upcoming show, and works as a video editor for Sony Music, making film clips for people like Guy Sebastian. I mean, what is it you don't do? <laughs> well, I don't work for Sony Music anymore. That was pre um, my book. So I was actually at Sony when I signed Secrets of a Schoolyard Millionaire. And yeah. now that I'm onto my fourth book contract, I've had to cut back on my. <laughs> normal working hours. Um, but yeah, I worked at Sony Music for, I don't know, five years or something and loved it there. Uh, there's, what do I don't, what do I not do? Um, I don't behave very well and I don't play volleyball. They're the two things I don't do. Oh, right. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about being a trapeze artist. Um, so I essentially, come about? yeah, so I've always kind of been into heights. My mum always said when I was little, every time she turned her back for two seconds, she'd turn around and I'd be on top of something um, and threatening to jump off it. Um, So I've always been a real kind of thrill seeker, I guess is probably a good way to describe it. And yeah, so I just, I, I mean, I'd done water skiing, so I had good upper body strength. And I decided that instead of when I finished high school, instead of being, you know, standard and going off and, I don't know, getting a degree or something smart like that, that I'd run away and join the circus. And um, I kind of got put on a sort of trial period and because obviously I didn't have a background in circus, I was kind of just... How easy is it just to go away and join a circus? Um, It's... Nowadays, it's quite easy, actually, weirdly enough, because what I actually did was I joined a hotel resort that had circus 
in the hotel and performances right. and they have circus on cruise ships now and as part of the entertainment. So it used to be that the only way you could get in a circus was if your mum was the bearded lady and your dad was a someone that got shot out of a cannon, you know. But nowadays you can go to circus classes, you can learn trapeze. You know, in Sydney, it's not that same kind of, it's much more considered kind of an art form now um, as opposed to something you have to be born into. So surprisingly not that difficult, but being able to be successful at it is more difficult because um, some people think they're going to be good at it. Maybe they have a gymnastic background or something like that. But the reality of it is it's not a sport. It's an art. So it's a performance um, and it's high a lot of the time. And sometimes people, although they physically are very capable of it, the heights do get in the way. So, Mm, yeah, but I loved it. (laughs) So tell me, tell me about growing up and tell me how, you came to write really because when I look at someone like a TV show contestant, a trapeze artist, as we said, and as a blue monster, I'm just wondering how those things led to writing. Oh, it's not probably a progression because <laughs> <laughs> that's probably unusual. Usually, writers have a similar kind of career path, but not you. No, no, I have a very unusual um, career path, and I think I put that down to the fact that. I know this is going to sound weird, but I don't think I'm the greatest writer in the world. I think there's, and I read other people's books and I think, wow, I wish I could write like that. They have such a a beautiful grasp of language. But what I have always been since the moment I can talk is a really, really good storyteller. Um, I've always been really creative. I've always had ideas. I've always wanted to, like when I was at the hotel resorts after doing trapeze, I became the entertainment manager, which meant creating shows. I went to university to study film and I wanted to write for screen to begin with. So, and even, you know, when I'm at home and not doing anything, like when I was first out of uni and I was working in hospitality, I was always creating something, you know, I was always telling a story in some form, whether that be on stage, on screen, um, in stories, uh, even when I go out to dinner with people, I like, I'm the one that'll be like, you will not believe what happened yesterday and get everybody, you know, together to tell them a great story. So I think that's kind of my thing. So although those careers paths seem very not related, they kind of are because they all let me tell stories. You know, even when I was the blue monster under the bed, that was for a kid's, you know, a kid's film where I was part of telling story for screen. So um, acting's always been a big thing. I really liked um, acting when I was young. So, yeah, I know the part, I know it doesn't seem logical, but there is a a thread through all. Yeah, no, I can see that thread too. Recently we um, recorded a podcast with a fabulous publisher at Magabala Books, who you probably know of. And it was Rachel. Rachel Bin Sarden? Yeah. Is that I was in, I oh, yes, I don't Rachel. want to mispronounce her name, but I, no. Rachel. I think it's Rachel Bin Anyway. Um, Sala, that's it, yes. Yeah, and she talked about the power of story versus having the literary merit of a story, if you like. And what they do at Magabala Books is try to capture stories and tell them in a way yeah. that, and I think that's what you do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I've also, like, I've also been always been a very creative person yeah so stories and all the bits and what the characters are going to be like and what they're going to do and the plot and all that comes really naturally to me um and then my style of writing maybe because I'm not particularly good at it is maybe a little bit more accessible like that's also maybe a good thing Mm. I write more 
from a real kind of character voice than actually having beautiful language. And I'm okay with that. Like I'm okay at being a hack. I think there's something really, that's kind of my message when I talk to kids. I'm like, you don't have to be, have the biggest words or be the best person at English or know where all the commas go. I still don't know where, where a semicolon goes. I've never understood what those things are for. Um, and I think sometimes kids can get scared away from writing because they think they have to know all those things. And like, I'm 40 and I still don't know that stuff. But And I've written, you know, two, I've actually written three, almost four books now. Um, and so like, I kind of embrace that idea that I really believe that if you're a good storyteller, you can be a writer. You'll figure it out with with good editors and, and good people behind you and an open mind and a willingness to learn. You'll get there if you really want to tell your story. I think that's a really great message for young children as well because there are things that can cause creative blocks and some of that is craft and technique. Yep. So if you've got the passion and the imagination and the ideas, you don't want like, I mean, you need a level of craft. You know, I mean, you need to put the words on paper. So there's got to be some kind of technique. But, yes, let's not get bogged down with that and just get the story across. I quite like yeah. that. I think it's the same with reading. And I want to talk to you about why reading is really important and how we make it fun. But uh, for uh, early on in my career, I worked a little bit in children's books. I don't so much now, but back then I did. And what I was hearing from parents a lot was reading and I think we still do this to some extent, we make it so educational that we lose the fun and we lose the joy of the story. And I used to say to parents, and I really believe this, have books in the toy box, have books accessible. It can't be a separate educational activity. It can't be part of your homework and reading your readers, Jim and Jane. I know that that has to be done, but there is such a, a, a fun side to reading, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. And I think one of the things about reading that helps make it confusing is that it crosses over between leisure and education. You know, like a lot of people, especially for for young kids, don't see film as education. So their film can sit completely in the leisure side and so kids are allowed to watch within reason obviously which is appropriate content but watch whatever they want if that's your if that's your hour and a half that you're allowed to be on the tv and you want to watch I don't know up instead of you know Nemo or whatever parents don't feel like they kind of have to control that but because reading does walk the line of being both hugely beneficial in an education sense but also should be considered a real leisure that's why I think why it can get a bit kind of confusing and parents or can sort of feel like they have to like oh but my child is eight and in this level reading at school so why are they reading a picture book that's not right and it's like well, are they enjoying it? <laughs> like visual literacy is a thing, comfort, I mean, I, I love, love, joy. I still love picture books. I still oh. have a collection of picture books that I read. And oh, I'm, yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely well, not older see, see, <laughs> On the podcast, you can't see, but um, because we are actually on video, you can see that bookshelf. There is not one adult book on that entire yeah. bookshelf. I can't mm. remember the last time I read an adult book. It's not mm. in my DNA. Um, and that's not just since becoming a kid's author. That's been always. You know, but I even see it like people say to me like, oh, you know, like, um, are you going to like eventually you're going to like work your way up to writing an adult book? And I'm like, you mean work my way down to writing an adult book? <laughs> you know, like, so there is this kind of this lack of appreciation, I think, for 
the importance of children's literature in that sense, but also really letting kids just, if they want to read it for the sixth time, that's actually not a problem. Mm -hmm. Let them like there is, I think a lot of the time there's this pressure of my kids got to move up and move forward and be better. It's like, well, at school, there's going to be stuff. There's always going to be stuff they have to read from prep until year 12 when they're struggling their way through Jane Eyre and hating every minute of it. They're always going to have to read something. Don't worry about that. Let that be. That's okay that that's a thing that they're going to be forced into. If you can help nurture the love, the joy, if they want to read a fart book, let them read a fart book. If it makes them laugh, it makes them happy. If they want to read something for the 17th time or something that's I'm using inverted commas, inverted quote marks, below their reading level, let them, you know, like I think we just have to, that's my thing. Like I'm all about, I'm not a school teacher. I don't have any teaching background. I'm not a parent. I don't have any, you know, knowledge to impart in a teaching or a parental way. But what I can say is, I can make kids love stories. Yeah. That's my, that's what, something I can do. And I'm very, very keen on sharing. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Speaking of bums and farts, um, a few years <laughs> back now, I um I was at an event in Hobart with Andy Griffiths, and I, I walked into that hall and there was about nine hundred children. And they were little, they were primary age kids. And it was a real eye opener for me. You know, it was just one of those light bulb moments. And I sat next to a teacher and she said, you know, she finds it so difficult for this group of five boys she had on one side and, you know, um, for them to concentrate even for five minutes. So she was wondering how we were going to go. I think it was a 45 minute show. Do you know you could hear a pin drop? He just threw you know, oral storytelling, he had those 900 children as still as listening so carefully to every word. And I lost it. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that that's, it's funny. I mean, that it's playful. It's what your books are. Yeah. well, they I had get a, the joke. They get the joke. Yeah, and I think I because I had a similar. This is what and what something that Andy is really, really good at is reading his audience as yes. well. And I had an experience where I it was for Book Week, and I went to a school and I did a talk for ones and twos, oh, threes yeah. and fours, <laughs> <laughs> fives, and then I think sixes was at the end. And it was really funny because, you know, in the first, you know, the lower ends of the school 
um, the kids would walk in and they'd come and sit like so close to the stage that their like noses were like right in your socks. And then as they got older, they got further and further back until I had the grade sixes and they walked in and sat at the very back of the hall. And I was like, oh, okay, we're doing, we're doing this thing, are we? And then the teacher was like, um, yeah, look, you know, pre-apologizing. Sorry about the grade sixes. They're going to be really tough work. Good luck with that. And essentially, as I started talking, I was just kind of like scrapped my <laughs> presentation and I started telling them a story about how, a true story about how when I was a trapeze artist, I smashed my head open and split the back of my head open and bled all over my co-worker and this, like, and they were just on the edge of their seats. And then like I, afterwards, As I, I talking, am now. <laughs> yeah, and afterwards I was talking to the, the teacher librarian and she's like, do you know what? We have, um, they were all boys again, five boys who for the entire day of book talks, because there was rotating authors, she'd been sending them on errands because she knew they wouldn't sit still and be quiet for any of the talks. So for this entire talks, they'd been just being sent around the school. And then they came back during my talk and they were like, oh, what do you want want us to do next, miss? And she was like, well, look, I actually have nothing else for you to do. Do you want to stay and listen to this author talk? And they were like, oh, I don't know what she's talking about. And she's like, well, right now she's telling a story about when she was on the trapeze and she split her head open and bled all over someone. And they were like, Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right. And they like yeah. took a seat and they sat there and she said like afterwards, you know, they've they never sat down and listened to anything, but every everybody wants to hear a good story. Like there's mm-hmm. no there's no question about that. I've never met a person in my life of any age that doesn't want to hear a good story. And I think sometimes we get so caught up in the the academia and the education and the reading. Sometimes we forget that and and for those kids as cool as they were and as old as they were, being able to sit back and be told a story, which they probably do not get the opportunity very often, they loved it. And so, yeah, I think that's it's it's a very good point and it's sort of something that I really lean into when it comes and to And also I think you've touched on a good point there too, being read to. Do you know that's something I still adore as an adult when somebody that's, reads something? That's why podcasts, yeah, but that's why podcasts are so popular because essentially audiobooks, essentially adults are being read to, but then they can't grasp the idea that they still love it at the age of 40, 50, 60, whatever. Um, And, but then they sort of think that they can't do it for their 12 year old. And it's like, Mm. well, if you love it, they're like, it doesn't, it's not a thing that stops. So Mm. yeah. And I mean, that's, I think podcasts are really, and audiobooks are really starting to make people realize that that is actually a thing that lasts forever. And it's a great way to learn too. Um, Now the power of positive pranking too. What I like about this book, there's a lot that I like about this book, (laughs) but the Greenpeace Manifesto. Yeah. Uh, rule one, rule two, rule three, which I think can apply to anyone. Talk to <laughs> yeah. about this book. Yeah, well, it's funny because I saw a tweet the other day that someone was like, um, does anyone even pay attention to chapter headings? Why do they even bother? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I spend as much time on my chapter headings as I do on my <laughs> my book. You know, for Secrets of a Schoolyard Millionaire, it was all the tips and um No, sorry, the chapter headings were, I spent ages deciding on those chapter headings and how, and I wanted them to be like funny, but sort of like a bit of a tease of what was coming. And then this one, it was the manifesto. And the next one that's coming up, well, I can't really tell, but I'm doing something special with the chapter headings again. And I was really devastated to see that someone was like, I didn't even read them. And I was like, no. It's the first thing I go to. And then I go to acknowledgements as well. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, 
Yeah, so I, I wanted, I really liked the idea that Casey, Cookie and Zeke took their group very seriously, um, yeah. and they do. Um, and I think that people underestimate how seriously kids take, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, how, how serious kids take the things that they are passionate about. And I think we're seeing it more and more now with, um, you know, climate change activism, a lot, and even over in America with, you know, um, gun control and stuff like that. A lot of the time it's kids that are leading the charge and they're leading it more effectively than any adult has in the past 50 years. And so I wanted to give, whilst of course maintaining humour and joy and stuff like that, I wanted to give real weight to what they thought about what they were doing. And if you believe in a, um, in a group and a cause and stuff, then you're going to have rules. You're going to have meetings. There's going to be structure. Um, mm. There's going to be secrecy. And so I wanted their group to have all that because it gave weight and seriousness to what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Mm. And they are kind of rules of life, aren't they? Yeah. 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 Just, I mean, like, and it's funny though, because like what I want to do, and I, I think it was the same in Millionaire with Tessa's tips, is I want to give rules or tips or whatever it is, but from the character and knowing that that, and then sort of expressing that they're, they're the character's beliefs. I'm not saying, and I think even Tess at the end of the book, she even says, maybe you shouldn't even be listening to my tips. What do I know? This is just my kind of idea. And, and asking kids to really think autonomously and to (laughs) follow things because they believe in it, not just because they're told it's so. And I think that's, something that I really strongly believe in with kids because this whole idea of um, do what you're told, sit down and shut up, seen and not heard, um, I think it's got us into a bad place with kids. We want kids to be saying what's going on in their lives and talking about it and not agreeing and doing things that adults want them to do just because they're adults. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, there, there needs to be a respect needs to be earned and, um, you know, I really like that idea. I like kids having a real think about what's right and wrong for them, not just what they're told from the generations above them. Because sometimes the generations above them are wrong or they're archaic or they're, you know, unaware of um, their kind of how their thoughts play within a new society and stuff like that. So, yeah, so there's a lot of that kind of thing in it with the rules. It's like this is what this particular kid is thinking, but also what do you think about that? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Are they right? Are they wrong? Are they somewhere in between? Yeah. What's the age group? Uh, eight to 12, I think. Like I've had, it, obviously it's a very big book. It has a lot of <laughs> words. There's no illustrations. Um, so I have had some um, younger kids who are good readers um, reading it and really enjoying it. I think content-wise, there's nothing that a seven-year-old, you know, needs to worry about or anything like that. But it is very text-heavy. Um, but I've had even six-year-olds, well, with Millionaire Particular, I've had six-year-olds who have had it read to them. Yeah, by their parents. I was going to say that. You could read it to your child easily. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I guess it depends. I reckon, would I, you know, I've had six and sevens kind of in the read uh, aloud and yeah. then eight to 12 in the in the read alone sort yeah. of age group. Well, um, congratulations, Nat. I mean, truly, <laughs> I, I love to see spunky books like this, so powerful, full of meaning but full of great fun. Um, the book is called The Power of Positive Pranking. Nat Amel, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. And thank you for such um, unusual questions. It's really <laughs> nice to get. Um, sometimes with kids' authors, it's a bit, you know, some of the conversations can be a bit like, you know, put on your clown suit. and da-da-da-da-da. So it's really nice actually to talk about craft and the meaning behind the book because even though they're fun and 
funny books. There's a lot of my heart in there and a lot of my beliefs and my fears and all that kind of stuff all tangled up amongst all that fun and silliness. So it's nice to be able to talk about it. Thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure. And also too, on a final note, yeah. I think the with all writing, it has to be authentic. Yes. For us. Oh as readers or listeners of a story to get. And I think that there is a sense of fun in this book that you yeah. have yourself and that you've managed to get across. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think book. my, my guts spill into my book, whether I yeah. like it or not, there's so much of me in so many different ways and me and people I know and things that I'm confused about, like the questions that kids are having in those books, they're questions I still have as an adult, mm. you know? Um, so yeah, they're definitely in my heart and soul goes into them as well yeah. as my sense of humour. <laughs> well, you can tell now. You can. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape Imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere, everywhere. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh. The joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.